This is the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Princess Bride. I love that movie. Uh, Throughout that movie, there's this phrase that gets repeated over and over again. It's true love. What is true love all about? In the movie, we know that true love can make you only mostly dead. It can help you to survive the fire swamps. It can not be stopped by death. It can only delay it a little bit. Death can only delay true love for a little bit. It's a great story slash movie. But it begs the question, what is true love? Do we know what that actually means? What is true love? Our text today, as we enter into it, it seems like a hodgepodge. I didn't know what that word meant, actually. I I was going to use it, and I was like, I wonder what that means. Hodgepodge is a soup. It takes a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and a little bit of this, and a little bit of that. It's just a hodgepodge of different things. And Paul seems to be all over the place. We're going to put a little this in, we're going to put a little that in, add a little this for good measure. He seems like he's all over the place. He God, he's doing this volley of statements. Do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it's a very loose structure. His theme is not exactly clear. It is reflecting several different types of teachings. We see the Old Testament here. We see teachings of Jesus. We see early Christian instruction. And it's likely that Paul is talking to Rome. He has one eye at Rome, but he also has one eye on us as well. And he's focusing on personal relationships. How are we to love and care for fellow Christians? How are we to love those who hate us? How are we to have humility and a common mindset? These verses are a continuing explanation of what verse 2 says. 
do not be transformed by, or do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, doing that which is good, that which is acceptable. This is what is good. This is what is acceptable. So as we come to our text, we're going to see three things. We're going to see first, genuine love. Second, we're going to see genuine blessing. And third, we're going to see genuine peace. Genuine love, genuine blessing, genuine peace. Paul begins his verse with this statement on true love. Let love be genuine. This word for genuine, uh, is a, it's true, it's sincere. It, it actually has also a negative uh, d- definition. It is without hypo- hypocrisy. Saying not having hypocrisy, this is a true love. He says, let love Be without hypocrisy, without lack of sincerity. Let it be genuine. And this is the heading for all that follows. It's not even an exhortation. It's a statement. Paul is assuming love and that love will be genuine. It's a love that is singled out as the essence of the Old Testament law, to love that is the central demand of the new covenant. It is the, the love that is the characteristic of all Christianity. It is grounded and it is enabled by the love of God. This love clings to what is good and it abhors what is evil. This is the defining statement of all what Paul's about to say. Let love be genuine. So then how are we to do this? How are we to let love be genuine? How are we to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good? Before I move on, just for a moment, I love these two choices of words, abhor. Do you ever say, I abhor that? It's not a word we use in everyday language, is it? But there's this sense of revoltingness. This this is revolting to me. I abhor it. I don't want it. But the opposite of that, he says, cling to what is good. Hold fast to it. This is a grabbing on and a not letting go. This is Josiah when he does not want to go to Mother's Day out. No. How do two-year-olds have that kind of strength? And you're like, no, we have to cling that way to what is good. Cling to it. And we do this by loving one another with brotherly affection. This is how we're to treat one another with a brotherly love. This love here is, you may have heard uh, the three uses of love in, in the New Testament. In the Greek words, you have agape. This is a general sort of love. And you have eros. That's a love between a man and a wife. But the one he chooses here is uh, philo or philo. It's a brotherly love. Think Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is the kind of love we're to have one another for one another. What is Paul saying? You are a family. This here is your family and you are to treat one another as if you are a family. And so you show brotherly love for one another. And how do we do this? We outdo one another in showing honor. 
We're to be eager to give credit to others. Saying, you, look how good you're doing. You're doing so well in this. We praise accomplishments. We defer to one another. And he says this. I love the way Paul says things at times. He says, don't be slothful in zeal. There's a sense here. Be zealously unslothful. He's go, go out of your way to not be lazy. But also go out of your way to be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We have this natural pull to become lazy and complacent. And he's saying, no, you must vigorously oppose this and pursue what is good. And the opposite of this is we should allow the spirit to set us on fire, open ourselves to his working he seeks to, to excite us with, about what the Lord has called us to do. So we're not zealous, or we're, we're not lazy zealously, but we're also fervent in the spirit zealously. And then he gives kind of three rapid fire things here. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be consistent in prayer. These three things are so linked together. He, he doesn't even divide them or even explain them. He's saying, Rejoice in hope. And as you rejoice, bear up under tribulations. And your ability to rejoice in hope and bear up in tribulations is all dependent on your prayer life. You must be praying. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality verse 13 kind of ends his first like group of rapid fire statements here and he says you're to participate in meeting the needs of the saints give food give clothes give shelter share with those who are less fortunate than you this is a great need in the new testament church and it's a great need for us today so what are we to make of this this these first just three or four verses here He says, look, you need to have love for one another. Love that's more than mere feeling. Love that's not something just passive. It's not just, hey, I love you. All right, I got to go. It's not that. It's something more. It's acts of love towards one another. Do you have brotherly affection for one another? This is your family. All of it. And we come with, you know, Annoying fathers, we come with wisecracking uncles, grumpy grandfathers. It's all evident in the present in the church. (laughs) I saw that look. (laughs) We're a family, but we bear up with each other as a family. If we have conflict, we must be resolving it. We're to show honor to one another, encouraging each other vigorously with zeal are you going out of your way to encourage the person sitting next to you in front of you behind you building we should be building up the body of Christ that Paul talked about last week we have to contribute to one another's needs do you know what the person sitting around you's needs are 
How are you to know the people sitting around you? How are you to know their needs? You have to know them. And not just a, hey, it's Sunday morning. Good to see you. Oh, oh, missed it last week. It's not that kind of knowing. It's an intimate, personal, familial knowing. What does it mean then also if we see needs and we fail to meet them? We're not showing brotherly love. We don't have love. Do we have a genuine love for for one another? Are we truly a family? Paul goes on. He says, not only are you to have genuine love, you're to have You're to genuinely bless one another. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I don't like Paul for this one. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because this is contrary to everything in my nature. Because what he's saying here is, if someone is coming after you, If someone is persecuting you, bless them. And not just the southern, oh, bless their heart. Not that kind of blessing. This is a blessing that genuinely seeks their good. This is literally asking God to bless that person. He calls us to bless those who would persecute us. You want to know how to let love be genuine? How to abhor abhor what is evil and cling to what is good? Then bless those who persecute you. This is echoing of Jesus' teaching, Matthew 5.44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Luke 6, 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Are you praying for those who abuse you? Are you asking for blessing for those who would curse you? That's not easy. He goes on. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. This is the way in which we show genuine love, both for Christians and non-Christians. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. True love does not respond to joy with bitterness. True love does not respond to weeping with joy. Do we delight in the misfortune of others? Are we rejoicing when good things happen to each other? Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. We can only do these things if we're living under a common mindset. We have to have relationship with one another. 
We have to have a common mindset. It's not that we all think the same way or think the same way about every single thing. It's not that we have to agree on every single issue, but we adopt a renewed mind which comes from God. And pride becomes the biggest obstacle to this. Do not be conceited. Never be conceited. We cannot exalt ourselves too highly, but we must associate, he says, with the lowly. Do not be arrogant. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but be humble and be meek. Do you associate with the lowly? In this section, we see that Paul is guaranteeing, he's assuming, I should say, persecution. Persecution will come. That is a certainty. And when it comes, when you are persecuted by others, you must bless them. You must bless them. We do not seek our own justice. We're going to see this in our next section. He says, leave it to the wrath of God. For his written vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We cannot allow ourselves to presume upon the justice of God. He will defend his own justice. He does not need us in those judgments. So he has called us then to have empathy for others, to weep when they weep, to have joy when they have joy. Why is this so hard for us to be have show empathy towards others. I wonder if it's not because we're so wrapped up in ourselves that we can't see past ourselves. We, we don't know when we, the other person's having joy. We don't know necessarily when they're weeping, but not only this, we tend to not be transparent. So you don't know when I'm hurting and you don't know when I'm rejoicing because I don't share that. We have to live in harmony with one another, to not com- compromise truth, to not give in to temptation. But to the best of our ability, we have to seek peace. This is Paul's third and final point, or my, my third and final point of, of Paul's here. Um, genuine peace. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. So how are we to think towards others? We must not repay evil with evil. Matthew 5, again, teaching of Jesus, Matthew 5, 38 through 39. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. We are not to return evil with evil, but instead we are to be actively doing good. We are to do this good in the sight of all people. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning, burning coals upon his head. We are to do what is right in the sight of all. Verse 17, 
do what is honorable in the sight of all. It's not that we're living up to the world standard of, of good. It's understanding that the world is the audience for the good that we do. The world is the audience. They must see what we do and they're going to recognize those actions as good. And one way or the other, they're going to acknowledge it. Either they're going to call it good or they're going to get real mad about it. And why are they going to get real mad about it? Because they're going to know that it's good. We're to be at peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, so they shall inherit, or so they, they shall be called the sons of God. Salt is good, but the salt that has lost is saltiness. How will you make it salt again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. But sometimes, Paul acknowledges, conflict is unavoidable. It doesn't always depend on us. But we cannot use what others do as an excuse to be that way ourselves. This is the great excuse of all children. But they did it first. And aren't we so often like that? They call me a name first, so I called them a name, and that's right. We can't be those who make the problems worse. Instead, we must maintain a positive witness. Even, even though we can't control what they're going to do, when we have been wronged, and the world often wrongs us, they don't like us, they show it to us, and it might be tempting to take those self-righteous, well, I am right, and I and right will out, and I have justice in the American way, and hurrah, right? And, and we want to take that stance of the notion of this justice holding the scales, and it must be balanced, and we will therefore be the instrument by which it is balanced. No. When the world does not like us, and they will not like us, we cannot respond like in the same way. We must know that we are beloved. We have undeservingly experienced the grace and the mercy and the love of God. That's who we are. And we must reflect that undeserving grace and mercy. We must leave it to the wrath of God. It is not our job to execute justice on evil people. It's not our job. That is the prerogative of God. He will visit his wrath when and where he sees fit. And that is okay. And it must be okay. And he does, and, and I'm not saying here that we don't rely on authorities to govern us well. We'll see here next week that he has put authorities there to execute his justice at times. But it is not for us to do. What is it for the church to do? In, in light of all of this, what is the church to be doing? Well, what does Paul tell us? To the contrary, in essence, he's saying, the opposite of this, what you should actually be doing 
If your enemy is hungry, you should feed him. If he's thirsty, you should give him something to drink. Church, this is what we're to be doing. Even to our enemies, we're to be feeding them. We're to be giving them drink. We're to be caring for them. This is the practical way that we go to those who persecute us and say, I'm going to show you blessing." This is a specific form of doing good in the sight of all people. And Paul says, as we do this, we heap burning coals upon their head. I think there's several different uh, things that happen as we do this. I think there is a response that when someone persecutes you and you give good to them, that they will grow more bitter. They will grow more bitter in what they're doing. But I think there's also a sense in which they will be put to shame. Because they came at us with every venomous thing they could and we responded by caring for their needs. And it, it becomes shameful. They may become more hostile to God. They may become more hostile to us. But that is not our worry. Our worry is to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. We cannot allow the thoughts and the actions of this world to keep us from being transformed by that which is good. We are to work at triumphing over evil by doing good, to display the character of Christ before a watching, skeptical world. When the world comes at us and we respond in kind, they love it. Why? Because we become hypocrites. You're just like us. There's no difference in you. They love it when we respond the way they want us to respond. But we are to show compassion on them, to provide for their needs, to give them food, to give them drink. And I think there's an interesting, something else interesting that goes on here. You can't hate someone that you're taking care of. Try it. Really sell, take someone that you were really just like aggravated with and sell yourself out to helping them. You can't hate them because you're invested in them. But also we know that we, we did not deserve what we were given. It's not because we're special that we have truth. It's not because we deserved it. It's because Christ gave it to us in spite of ourselves. And so our response is to show love, to not overcome, be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. There's a sense here in which it, it, it's like Paul has loaded up the Gatlin gun and he's put the clip in and he just went, this is what you're to look like. And he's just kind of filled us full of holes in a way. 
But it's the wonderful, beautiful truth of what it means to be a true Christian. You are called to true love, to genuine love, to a love that is not hypocritical, to a love that is the mark of the Christian life. We are called to nothing less than the love of Jesus. And as we execute this true love, we are called to bless and not curse. To seek of the good, the good of others, even when they do not seek your own good. In fact, even when they are seeking actively the opposite of your own good. And we are to be at peace. We can't control others. But we can control ourselves. And therefore, we are to overcome evil with good. If you get to the end of this passage here and the end of this sermon, and you don't think that this is hard, you're missing it. This is hard. This is very hard. This goes against who we are as a people, I think. This is not our natural inclination. Because when this plays itself out, it, it causes us to ask some very interesting questions. What does it mean to seek the good of others when they're actively doing evil against you? What does it mean to seek the good of someone who has a gun pointed to your head? That's an extreme example, isn't it? But it is an example that we see throughout history. If you're ever interested, go find a book called either the Fox, Fox's Book of Christian Martyrs or a book called Fair Sunshine. And read about Puritan people who over and over again were being persecuted against. And what were they doing in return? They were, they were mirroring the prayers of Jesus. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. When they were actively being burnt at the stake, they were praying for the salvation of those who were burning them. What does it mean to seek and bless others when they are seeking to do, to do good for others when they're seeking evil against you? This is hard. But this is the way we are called to live the Christian life the Christian life is not easy. It's not club med. It's not, oh, you're in the club, now just kick it back and kick up your shoes and there's going to be a waiter and he's going to bring you a coconut with an umbrella in it. And That's not what the Christian life is. The Christian life is hard. It's trials. It's persecution. It's loving those who hate you. Which is, by the way, what Jesus did, Right? While you were yet sinners, Paul says early in Romans, while you were yet enemies of God, Christ died for you. This is what the Christian life is. We are to reflect the love of Jesus. Chapter 12 is, is Paul's version of, all right, preacher, you've gone from preaching to meddling. That's what Paul's done. And if you think it's bad now, he's going to get some meddling next week too. Hey, submit to authorities. Ooh, that's not a fun one. You may not like me after next week. But it's not me, it's Paul. 
and seek to do my good even when I'm cursing you. Um, we are called. We are called to overcome evil. And we're to overcome evil with good. Brothers and sisters, would we be reflective of Christ? Would we be reflective of the teaching of Paul? Would we reflect this to a world who needs the love that we, only we can show? Would we bear the marks of a true Christian? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, I know I, as confronted with this passage, can feel a little overwhelmed and a bit like I've been blasted away. And yet, in it, we see the wonderful truth of what it means to be a Christian. Lord, would you help conform us to this? Would we seek good and not evil? Would we seek peace and not strife? Would we seek a true love for those who do not love us? We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand now as we sing our closing hymn, His Name is Wonderful. Please stand.